Well, we come to a conclusion today in a, in a series of messages in Nehemiah. So be finding Nehemiah chapter 13. And as we've gone through this series, it has been beautiful for me to walk with some of you as God has been shaping and crafting a vision, a direction for your life. A new vision, a new direction, maybe fine-tuning, maybe re-energizing. I don't know where and what it's been for you, but I hope it's been a journey, and I hope it will continue to be a journey. About 40 people now have submitted vision statements that God is leading them, clear and compelling statements of where God is moving, challenging, growing, stretching them, that, that they're ready now to say, what next? Where do I go from here? And I just want to challenge each of you to be thinking about where you're at in your relationship with God and in this process of a vision that God may be leading you. And I just want to give you a couple of statements just as we get started today. Number one, I just want to encourage each of you to draw in, to draw in close, to draw in close not to me, but to the Lord. If you don't have a vibrant relationship with God, it's going to be really hard for you to hear God. If you don't have a relationship with God, you won't hear God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 tells us that, that he doesn't hear us, we don't hear him. There's this tremendous disconnect. But he does make it clear, and Nehemiah models it for us so vibrantly, nine, if you count them, or up to 11 different prayers alone from chapter 1 to chapter 13, nearly as many as there, uh, prayers as there are chapters, you find Nehemiah praying. There's something about this that you cannot leave out, that relationship factor. In fact, Jesus himself said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. That's a very key distinctive of a Christ follower is that you're able to hear and discern his will. All right? It's not a mystery. It's not hide and seek with God. All right? It, it, it's not seek, seek and try to find it if you can. God wants you to know his will worse than you want to know it. Now, chew on that for a while. Sometimes we think God is hiding His will from us. No, He wants, He's, draw, he's drawing you in. He wants you. In fact, the, the, the book, in the book of John, chapter 8, verse 47, it says, He who belongs to God, here's what God says, the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. You do your own conclusion in that. If God's voice is never heard, you never experience a relationship with God, if you never have heard the voice of God, you've never had direction from God, it may be you're not in a relationship with Him. Don't take my words for it. Take John's words for it. Take Jesus' words for it. Better yet, they've recorded in the Gospel of John. The fact that we must hear Him. We must listen. See, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how He woke the dead. We were the dead. He woke us, gave us life. And so in this giving us life, He also enters into this relationship with us. And as much as He initiates the relationship, hear this, He wants you and I to feed the relationship. In this whole process, we need to draw near to Him, and He will draw near to us, it says in the, in the book of James. Draw near to Him, and He will draw near to us. Are you drawing near? Are you coming closer to Him? That's the first challenge. The second challenge I want to give you is step out. Now, I'll tell you right now, drawing near might be easier if you're in a relationship with Him by just simply renewing the relationship, but the stepping out may be the fearful part because that's where you have to now get outside of your comfort zone. That's where you have to step out into the unknown. That's where you are going to have to move in faith. 
you read the, the book of James again, and you'll find that he says faith without actions is dead. You can have all the faith and have all the exegesis and do all the, the studies of the Word of God and all that kind of stuff, but if you're not willing to take that step of faith and to step out, then, my friends, you're missing it. And again, one of the most beautiful parts of this journey and this series has been hearing you tell your visions to me and to others about where God is leading you, moving you, challenging you, growing you. Again, up to 40 people now. And it really fits in line with our, our church, our DNA, our ethos, if you will. From the very beginning, we say it again and again. It's on the, on the sign when you walk out the door of this building. Every member is a minister and every ministry is meaningful. We want the ministry to, enter, to to bubble up from your heart. As you've drawn near to God and God has pulled, put things on your heart, we want that to bubble up. I have on the stage with me uh, some folks that have shared with me, shared with others of you, the vision that, 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 that God has led them in and the direction that God is leading them. And so I just want to give you some grassroots examples today of folks in our church that are sensing God's leading, sensing God's moving in direction to let you get to know Him. Uh, Daniel Franklin, right here, my buddy to the left, he has been in our church since for six years. Met Leandra last week as she did her presentation. But he's had a heart and he's had a vision and a direction from God. So tell us about what that is and what that looks like. I think simply put, um, my vision that God's been working on me is to lead men in ministry. Uh, not another program, but men in ministry. Uh, that way they are growing in their personal relationship with Christ and then that moving them to meaningful relationships with other men, with their families, co-workers, friends, and then that pushing them in a pursuit for God's calling on their, on their lives. That's awesome. And realize you're just a just a vendor in the community yep. you're not even one of us uh you're not even paid to be good like us no all right no. so you're just good for nothing and uh and as you're filling this call and direction just hear from him that that this is this is organic this is bubbling up from within him and his heart and passion meet russell and roxy goins both have uh, been in the church for just about a couple of years maybe less than that i don't, I don't know exactly uh, probably two Two and a half years, maybe. And, and, and Russell gave his life to Christ while working on an assembly line at Belcart, listening to messages. Uh, what an amazing story and a process of God calling y'all. But you all have become a part of Grace Point Church, all in both feet. Uh, that's, that's amazing. So tell us about the vision that God has laid on your heart. Well, um, the vision that God uh, gave us was to be just uh, 100% debt-free. Um, and uh, as as he was leading into that that vision, us into that vision, um, one of the verses that really stuck out was Proverbs twenty two seven, uh, which says the borrower is slave to the lender. Um, and we began began to become convicted that um, we needed to be about building his kingdom instead of our own. Mm. And um, for us, uh, having that debt was really we felt a hindrance to what God was calling us to do. Um, so, really, we were we were wrapped up in managing our stuff, and um, that's really where where our vision began. So, your vision started as a family vision yeah. that God had given you to become debt free, because you were serving others rather than using what God had given you to serve Him. Yeah. Beautiful, Stephanie. 
Riggs down here. Been a part of the church again for a couple of years. Was a part of the Rogers campus. And just a beautiful story of God moving and working in you to lead you to a totally different culture. So where's God leading yes. you? What's your vision? Um, I am moving to the Czech Republic and going to form, we formed a team to do church planting in the Czech Republic, which is in Eastern Europe. And um, basically, we want to start a language school to start building relationships with people there because to get in with the culture and to kind of have some buy-in, it takes a lot of time. So we're really hoping that through language schools that we can ultimately church plant Czech-ran churches in the Czech Republic. That's amazing because, I mean, you think about the diversity of vision shared on the stage right now. Yours is not just here. It's there. Gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's on the other side of the pond. Right. So what was it that stirred inside of you that began to move inside of you that put that on your heart? Um, well, about a little over a year ago, Pete Finfrock told our Rogers campus to take a class called Perspectives, which some of you are probably in right now, and he said it would change our life. So I enrolled, not knowing at all what it was about, <laughs> and um, by the end of the class, I was forming a team and really searching for where God wanted us to, to land, and um, statistics played a big part in why we chose the Czech Republic. Um, they are 80% atheist, so they're one of the largest atheist countries in the world. 0.2% um, evangelical Christian. So when you do find a Czech church there, um, our team of nine would double their size. Wow. And they don't want to share and open their church to other people. So... Um, we really felt like there's a strong, strong need. Um, Operation World may even consider them an unreached people group. So um, we want to make sure that we can go and serve God and hopefully change that. That's amazing stirring that God's put on your heart. Yeah. What about the Goins family? What, uh, what put the stirring on y'all's heart? Well, before we even really started coming to Grace Point Church, God had just really laid it on my heart, just the importance for our family to really be debt-free so we could serve him. So um, for us, that meant selling our house, selling all of our toys that we had. And that wasn't really just an easy thing to say, sell our house, because we had designed and built our house with the intent of raising our family and growing old there. And we had the land that our house was on had been in my family for generations. So but God had just really laid it on my heart, and I talked to Russell about it, and... He was not really on board with it. It was the American dream. We had it. So, but God just kept working with me, and finally Russell signed up to go to Africa. And when he came home from Africa, uh -oh. his perspective uh -oh. had completely changed. <laughs> so the vision that God had really laid on my heart had now become our vision. So it was a bit of a process, but we put our house up for sale. And though everybody that was involved with it said it would never happen, we just trusted in God, ignored them. And our house sold for two week, in two weeks for the asking price. So, Wow, wow. It's amazing in a market that we've been living in. That, but that's just one of those, again, confirmations. So what stirred in you? What was it that stirred inside of you? Well, uh, just ask the, the men out here a question. Have you ever had that guy in your life who kind of mentored you? Anybody? Just raise a hand. Anybody? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you, you had a guy that was your mentor. Well, for me, uh, that was my uncle. Uh, he lived here in Springdale. About a year ago, he passed away of cancer. 
and uh, it really kind of hit home with me. Um, he had a he had a vision in his life to reach out to other men through men's ministry. He was big in a men's fraternity uh, because he became a Christian later in life, and he felt like, man, if I would have known this earlier in life, just think about the difference I could have made in my family, the difference I could have made in the other men around me in my job. And so he said, since I can't go back and change that, I'm going to work through men's ministry. I'm going to invest in other men. I'm going to help raise them up so that they can lead their families the way God intended. Well, after he passed away, I realized a couple things in my own life. Um, one, I wasn't really investing in anybody else the way he was investing in me. And then also, I just really missed that community with other men uh, just leading me uh, towards Christ. Awesome. Awesome. Where do you all go from here? I mean, you've got this vision. You've met phase one, I guess, maybe of your vision. Yeah. Where from here? We are now absolutely 100% debt-free. Give him a hand. That's awesome. That's <laughs> Praise the Lord. For um, a little over a year, God has just really op been opening our hearts to um, his people. And so with the help of Susan Phillips, our awesome body life group, and some other friends, we have partnered with the school in Rogers in helping with their homeless kids. We um, provide them with some basic needs, whatever they may need for that month. And since they are kids, we try to provide them with some fun stuff as we can. And we are now in the process of reaching out to other schools in the area and helping with their homeless kids. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, also, uh, just through some circumstances that God has brought us through, um, we began to really feel just just a burden for everyday people that are all around us who might be going through uh, tough times, life-altering uh, situations, whatever it may be. And um, through that experience, um, a couple things we've started thinking about. Um, I'm actually taking the perspectives class as well right now. So um, we've thought about starting to do some cross-cultural work here in Northwest Arkansas um, because of the diversity that we do have here. There's a lot of opportunity there. And um, possibly even getting involved in some sort of prison ministry in uh, some sort of capacity. And um, so that's awesome. really we just want to we just want to serve the Lord uh, in whatever capacity he wants us to. Um, just reaching out to those who need him. Beautiful. And you all, you all, all of y'all are a great example of every member being a minister and that our missions goes well beyond Africa. It's not Africa alone or, or Haiti or anywhere else. It's right here at home all the time, 24-7. Thank you all for being an example. But it's also going around the world because it's the ends of the earth that God tells us to go. You've got a big step ahead, girl. What's yeah. next for you? Well, I have gone to um, join the United World Mission and went to orientation and was appointed. And then in December, I was able to go on a vision trip and actually meet the whole team. And so now I am in support raising, financial support raising. So um, that, That's big because leaving your job here, mm -hmm. going there, selling out here, going there and resupplying there, it's got to be huge. I want you to be straight with us, your sure. family. So we're sitting at the dinner table mm -hmm. here. What are your needs? How can we step up and be a part of that? Um, well, um, obviously prayer. Um, I need all the prayer I can get to get there and while I'm there. Um, but also um, I'm looking at financial supporters on a monthly um, basis. I have to raise 3500 a month mm -hmm. to be able to... That's to live on. Live on and... Um, 
also have ministry um, funds. Um, So right now, that's what I'm doing, so that way I can get to a seven-week culture training and launch. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'll tell you this. Our church, your church, is with you and will support you financially through the ministry budget of our church. But I know others may want to link up with you. Would you hang out at the Ghost Center afterwards and maybe they can pick up a pamphlet or talk Mm -hmm. with you there further? And and maybe all of y'all can hang out back there and how they can be involved in local ministries right here in our schools and how they can be involved in a a startup organic men's ministry that's bubbling up right now. And that that would just be beautiful. Uh, Thank you all for sharing. Give them a hand. Uh, as they share their heart. Thank you. You know, again, I want to share with you that that having the vision and the leadership of God is absolutely priceless, and you can't not move forward without that. And, and, and so draw close to Him. Draw near to Him. Also, I want to say, though, uh, you know, step out. Wherever that is, stepping out means for you. Just step out. These guys are stepping out. Stephanie only has about 20% of her raise, money raised that she needs to support herself. She's already stepping out in faith. She doesn't have to have all the answers, and you won't have all the answers. Otherwise, you'll never step out. It's not faith if you don't, if you have all the answers. But also, I want to tell you of another, another challenge. Just as you launch into the vision, and you think about 40-something people in a church of, I don't know, 250 families, over 10% of our families are already expressing, this is the direction that God is leading me. I have to believe there's probably another 10, 15 in this room right now. God's leading me in this direction. Just hasn't, hasn't, haven't stated it. So you think about that. Now, where do you go from here? What happens out there? And I just want you to, to understand the third, the third phrase I want to give you is beware of the drift. Beware of the drift that comes with a vision. Visions come with great motivation and power and excitement and rallying, but also visions can fade. Motivation comes, it goes. Visions may originate in divinity, but they can die in distractions, detours, and dead ends. God may have given you that vision, but it can easily die with distractions, detours, and dead ends. Beware. Of that, beware of those distractions. And because here's the challenge for us: if God has given you a vision, it will be up to you to see that that vision doesn't lose focus, doesn't lose intensity, doesn't lose direction or momentum. If you don't hold to the vision, if you don't keep throwing wood on the fire, if you don't keep stoking it, this series of Nehemiah will fade, and at the same pace that this series fades, your vision and God's direction will fade. Will you be one who will just let it fade as we move on to another series and another message and and another Sunday? Or will you be one who will respond and keep the fire burning? In, In chapter 13, we have Nehemiah where he's been He's been the governor of the land for for about 12 years, from maybe 44 B.C. to 432 B.C. He's been the governor, rebuilding walls, phase one, rebuilding the people, phase two. The people are growing back into Jerusalem. We see that in chapters 11 and 12, the repopulation of Jerusalem. The city's coming back. The town's coming back. The nation's coming back. God's work is coming back. There's been a revival. We talked about that last week in chapter 8 and chapter 9. And even it spills over to chapter 10 where they review and make their, almost re-up their commitment, their vows, their commitments to God. So we've had this tremendous revival. Then chapter 13 comes. 
chapter 13 comes, and, and it's time for Nehemiah to go back to King Artaxerxes. So he goes back. We don't know how long he goes back, but he goes back for a couple of years. He goes back for a couple of years, and he spends some time back in Persia, re- reconnecting with the king. And, and in that amount of time, now scholars have estimated it's about two years. Twelve years to rebuild a nation. Twelve years to rebuild walls. Twelve years to rebuild a, 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 a movement of God. Twelve years that this God has been working. In a matter of two years, my friends, it already begins to drift. In a matter of two, twelve years work invested. In a matter of two years, we see the vision drift begin where they they lose the focus and they lose the intensity and they lose the direction and they lose the momentum. The very challenge that I give you, they're experiencing it in chapter 13. And so I want to move you real quickly through three moves of of vision drift, okay? Beware of these, be conscious of these as you live out, as you fulfill the vision that God has given you. One is that when, when the standard bearers are lost to the vision, Finish this statement for me. When the cat's away, the mice will play. And that's exactly what we see happen with the people of Israel. The cat being Nehemiah, who was the bearer of the vision, the the banner carrier, the one who initiated the work. He, he, He steps aside. He thinks all is well. Everything's in place. The people have renewed their commitments to the covenant. They've done all of these things. And this time, he slips away, goes back to King Artaxerxes for a season. And in that two-year period, all of a sudden things begin to change. There's even been books written out there called The Innovator's Dilemma. That whenever the innovator, the caster of the vision, the person who has this idea, this dream, this entrepreneurial spirit, has this vision for a movement that could and should happen, and all of a sudden the innovator leaves, creates a vacuum, a dilemma. The organization doesn't adapt, doesn't change. The vision, whatever it is, is, is lost You can easily see it whenever you see great companies. You can see it even in in, a local restaurant. The original owners are gone. It's not like it used to be. You can see it in churches. You can see it in teams. You can see it in any and every organization. See, in chapter 10, a beautiful work happens where they renew their commitment to marriage, to holiness of marriage. They, 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 in verse 31 of chapter 10, they make this solemn commitment to honor and keep the Sabbath. They also, in chapter 10, verse 32, they maintain. They say, we're going to maintain the temple. See, Ezra was been was big player, contemporary of Nehemiah, helped in the reestablishing of the temple, the refurbishing of the temple. And they actually said, people, every family needs to commit one-eighth of an ounce of gold every year to the upkeep of the temple. Today's standard is about $1,000 a family. Think about that for an envision commitment. For every family we commit to the, to, the, to the place of worship. Also, chapter 10, verse 35, they committed themselves to tithing. It wasn't just one or the other. It was both. So they had these basic disciplines of the faith that we still practice to this day. They renewed good marriages, good commitments and disciplines to the Sabbath and keeping it holy, good commitments to worship, good commitments to tithing. They made these commitments. But all of a sudden, you come down and you look and you meet a new guy named Eliashib. Eliashib is, um, well, he becomes the high priest. He becomes the leader of the temple. 
See, Ezra was the high priest, and he was the one in chapter 8 that we saw reading from the Torah, but Eliashib is now the high priest. And in chapter 13, we see where he kind of slips in, and he begins, the cat's away, the mice begin to play, he begins this slow drift. He was not a standard bearer to the direction that God was leading. Look at verse 4 and following. Now before this, Eliashib the priest, who was a appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, who was related to Tobiah. Recognize that name? Prepared for Tobiah a large chamber. Where did he prepare it? They had where they had previously put the grain offerings and the frankincense and the vessels and the tithes of grain and wine and oil which had been given by the commandments of the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers and the contributors for the priests. All of a sudden now the tithe, all of a sudden now the temple, all of a sudden now worship, all of a sudden now that room that the tithes and the offerings were given to is now a place for Tobiah to live. Tobiah, do you remember him? Does any, raise your hand if you remember Sanballat and Tobiah. From the very beginning of our study, they have been the, the, emes, the what's the word, emesis, nemesis, nemesis uh, 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 of this movement. They have done everything they can to destroy it. And now he is living not just in the walls of the city. He is not just living in the walls of the city. He's living in the temple. You see what has happened in a matter of two years. We see this nemesis, this, 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 this forbidden individual because of Eliashib. Now compromising. Now stepping aside. Now, now not being the standard bearer. My friends, I tell you, if you have a vision and a direction from God and you're moving out, it's got to be bigger than you. Alright? It's got to be bigger than you. Life principle for you, there's no success, there's no true success without a successor. And I tell you, if you walk away from your event, from your thing, from your vision, from your direction, and it dies, and because you don't have a standard bearer, somebody to go with you, then it wasn't a very big vision to begin with. Really, do you have success without a successor? So we find here, where is Nehemiah during all this? Verse 6, while this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. See, he stepped away, and when he stepped away, the vision faded. If you were to step away from your vision right now, would it fade? Would it go away? Would it survive? Would it thrive? Would it die? Verse 13, Nehemiah comes back on the scene and cutting straight to the chafe, straight to the matter. He appoints these individuals. I'll not butcher their names. I'll let you try that later on. But last part of verse 13, he appoints new people for the temple. And he says this, for they were considered reliable. And in the Holman Christian Standard Version, it says they were considered trustworthy. If you're going to hand the baton off to somebody, make sure you hand it off to a standard bearer, somebody who will keep the flame burning, somebody who will take the vision to a new level. Don't leave it without a successor. Where is God leading you? And immediately start pouring into others that can carry the vision if God were to move you, change you, challenge you, relocate you, or whatever. 
All right? Beware of the vision drift. If you don't have somebody to help carry the vision, the standard bearer, then you will be in trouble. Number two, when subtle compromises creep in, all of a sudden, the vision begins to drift. Because the people of Israel ignored the counsel of God, they were put into exile. Chapter 8, they received the, the Word of God. They listened to the Word of God again. In the verse 10, the chapter 10, they recommit to the Mosaic Law. This, this beautiful revival takes place. Nehemiah goes to King Artaxerxes, and they stop taking care of the temple. No longer was the temple and the worship the center. In verse 11, it says, Why is the house of God forsaken? See, Nehemiah has come back now. He's, he, is, he is noticing the drift. He is saying, why, why, why? We have done so much work. We've spent so much time. We've, I've invested so much of my life into this. Why are you neglecting the house of God in worship? Why are you neglecting worship? You're, obviously, if they can house Tobiah, if they can house Tobiah there in the temple, let him live in the temple, then they're probably not taking up very many offerings either. So if they're not taking up offerings, they're not being able to help the Stephanie Riggs go to the Czech Republic or the likes of them, whatever that may be in that, in, that, in that time period. But you know what? It just almost goes from bad to worse because not only did they neglect the temple, they also, it, it says in verse 15 and 16, they, they neglected the Sabbath. And also it's clear that they neglected the family commitment to have holy and righteous families. These are covenant commitments that they renewed in chapter 10, but they're now neglecting. In chapter 13. Hey, Mike, where do you see that? Well, if you, look, if you look very carefully, you'll find that there's another little villain that appears on the scene. And his name is in verse 28. And the sons of Jehoiada and the son of Eliashib. Eliashib's the high priest who took Ezra's place. Was the son-in-law of who? Who? Sanballat, the Hornite. Who's Sanballat? He is the other of the three stooges. you got Sanballat and Tobiah. And now we've got the high priest and his family marrying, literally marrying into Sanballat the Hornite. He's not, so their marriages are now falling apart. What happened here in a matter of two years is the vision drifted so far that no longer was worship center, no longer was tithing center, no longer was taking care of the temple center, no longer was family center. It was now, Katie, bar the door, whatever we want to do. It's amazing. God can do great things. In a matter of a few short days, we can destroy it. If we are not very careful, vision will drift in your company, in your home. Thankful for the Goans and their vision for their family. They could go out tomorrow and put themselves into debt up to here if they lose the vision their family. Don't lose it. Compromise. It slips in. Nobody gets out of bed in the morning and says, I'm going to go get myself in debt so I can't serve God anymore. So I can't give, so I can't go, so I can't help. Nobody does that. They just simply bite down on this and bite down on that. Pretty soon, they can't. They just can't. They got other things. They got other commitments. They got other... It's a compromise. It's a slow fade that, that happens. And all of a sudden, again, what happens when the vision drifts? We lose focus. We lose intensity. We lose direction. And we lose momentum. 
the very challenge that I'm challenging all of us to pay attention. Are you losing focus? Are you losing intensity? Are you losing direction? Are you losing momentum? Because if it is, it's that it's, it's subtle, it's subtle, it's so subtle, but it begins to fade away and erode away the vision that God's leading you to. Edmund Burke said it like this so eloquently. Hope I don't butcher it. The instances are exceedingly rare of man immediately passing over clear marked line from virtue into declared vice or and corruption. It doesn't happen that you just all of a sudden jump from this line to this line. There are middle tents and shades between the two extremes. You move your tent a little closer. You move your tent a little closer. You move the stake. You only move the tent. You just move the stake. You move the stake. You get a little closer. All of a sudden, everything changes. There is something uncertain on the confines of the two empires which they must pass through, which renders the change easy and imperceptible. All of a sudden, you find yourself, you're committed at marriage, you're committed to, to monogamy, you're committed to this relationship, and then you go 10 years forward, fast forward 15 years forward, all of a sudden you find she's over there, he's over there, you're over here, and you're interested in somebody here. How in the world did that happen? Lost the vision for your home. It happens. It happens in slow and subtle compromise, and pretty soon you'll be in bed with send ballot to buy it. Beware of the slow drift. Number three. When you lose sight of the who behind the what, I want you to get any perception in this that it's about your vision. It's not about my vision. It's not about your vision. It's not about these three on the stage's vision. It's about Him. If it's not about Him, then we miss it. It's not about building a church. It's about Him. It's not about expanding our campus. It's about Him. It's not about, it's not about just taking trips to Mali. It's about Him. It's not about taking trips to Haiti or anywhere else in this world. It's about him and what is what is he about? And I love the theme that carries throughout chapter thirteen because he doesn't get away from the from from the who. He drills back to the who, not just the what. The what was rebuilding the kingdom. The what was rebuilding the walls. That was the what, but it was the who, the who, the who. And you see it again, and you see it in verse fourteen. You see it in verse twenty-two, and you see it in verse twenty-nine. You see it in verse thirty-one again and again and again. He says, "Remember me." It almost sounds like he's he's begging God. It almost sounds as if he's dependent upon God. And he is. And so are you. Everything about your vision is not about you. And the, the end doesn't justify the means. It is all about him. And if we don't come back into a constant state, and, and I count in this chapter alone four different prayers, again, in, in these verses, 14, 22, 29, and verse 31, it comes back to him. But I want to take you to the last words of Nehemiah, and I want to end where we began. We begin in the very first words and looking at the month of Chislev, and we all come all the way now to the last words of this book. And it says, remember me, oh my God, for good. I love it when you break that verse down just word by word. You notice that there's a, there's a prayer of mercy. Remember. Remember me, God. 
not that God forgets anything. Not that God isn't all-knowing. It was more than that. It was, it, was, it was a God, when you're looking across the planet and you're looking across the people of the world, would you, would you just, just, whenever you're, you're thinking of the person to call God, when you need somebody and you can depend on somebody, God, I want my name to be the first, I would say in the Rolodex, but that dates me. I want my name to be the first at the tops of your address book, God. Remember me. It makes it personal. Remember me. He says, oh my God. See, he acknowledges the relationship factor. He's in a relationship here. It's not God the religious God, God the institutional God, God the, the, the business God, God the, 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 the killjoy God, God the, 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 the uh, slot machine God, and you pull down the lever and he spits out what you want when you want it, God. He talks about him as if he's a friend. My God, not my, my God, personal, intimate God. And then his request is, when you remember me, God, when you think of me, God, when you pull my name up, God, would you just remember and just smile? Remember me for good. Remember me for my life. Remember me for how I gave. Remember me for how I sacrificed. God, when you, when you think about me and I enter into your, your constant flow of your omnipotence and your constant flow of your omniscience, God, would you, would you just smile? Remember me for good. In, in another translation, it says, remember me for favor. For favor, God. And this past week when I was looking at that verse, it reminded me of a verse that I started memorizing July 22nd. 2005. Took me back six years to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4. It said, The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord. And I think when you look at Nehemiah's prayer, you see both humility and you see fear. That, that, that respectful fear, not trepidation. What, what happens? What does God do? The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, who doesn't want that? And I think maybe somewhere you break apart, remember me for good, God, is God, at the end of the day, would you remember me for riches, honor, and life? Because God, I'm not living for me, and it's not about me, and I'll leave the king's Artaxerxes cellar cabinet, I'll, I'll, I'll leave the plush palace of the king, and if I need to go work among the ruins of the Forbidden, broken down city of Jerusalem. If that's where I have to go, God, I'll do it for you because it's about you and not about me. At the end of my life, God, would you remember me for good? And I think we all are familiar with the verse. We all hope it's said of us whenever we die and we standing before God someday. And, and uh, you know, this came to me this week. I have no control over the length of my life. I have no control of the length of my life. No one ever dies early, by the way. I don't know if you know that. No one ever dies early. I have no control over the length of my life. I have only the control over the depth of my life. And I want my life to have substance. And I want God to remember me for good. And I want when I die... I want God to say to me what He said He was going to say to His, his early de- uh, disciples... Good, sir. 
Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into rest. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into rest. If I'm ever going to have God say to me one day, Mike, you did good. I've got to do good now. Did good. I've got to do good now. Am I compromising? Have I lost the the vision for my life and the direction for my life that God's leading me? Do I even hear the voice of God? This is a message that I think just needs to marinate on your hearts. The band is going to lead us in a song and they're going to sing and we're going to we're just going to let them sing over us. Now, this is not a time where we are unengaged. This is a time where I think you do some deep heart listening to Him. Let, him, let this words be said. You can just remain seated if you want to. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to come kneel to the front, you can kneel to the front. This, this is a series that ends today. But I hope it's your, a day that your vision launches. Is it going anywhere? Are you going anywhere? Are you caught up in compromise? Have you have you lost the who for the what? Father God, thank you for having a plan for our life, a vision for our destiny, a destiny for our soul. Lord, for having not, us not just to be puppets, marionettes, but Lord, truly to be empowered by you, indwelled by you, led by you. Lord, if in any way we have lost the vision that you're leading us to, renew it now before it fades, before we stop hearing your voice. Help us to step out and to hold tight to the vision you're calling us to. In 